You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in Winning Cures Everything. It is the Monday, August 8th edition of the show. I am your host, Gary Seegers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Hopefully everybody had a wonderful weekend. The first weekend in August, I was excited because that means, of course, we are just a couple of weekends away, three weekends away, make sure I do the math right, yeah, less than three weeks away from college football opening. And with all the realignment talk, with all the NIL, with all the da-da-da-da-da, I'm just excited to get back to games, right? We are getting ever so close to the beginning of the BetUS College Football Show. Of course, we have done a couple of early season previews. You can head over on YouTube, just do a little search, BetUS College Football Show. Or, to make it easier on you, I do have it in the description right there underneath the video. Or, if you're listening, it is in the podcast description as well. You can subscribe to that. Go check out the early games that we have hit on. Much to discuss, of course. Uh, we will be having a bit of an overhaul, some graphics overhauls, etc. As far as videos, everything else, new uh, voiceovers, etc. New items to the web store will be coming up once we get into football season. So, hope you guys are prepared for all of that as well. Seeing as to how this is now a one-man operation, I decided to try and, you know, uh, fix things up just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, heads up, I was on... This is going out at 7 p.m. tonight, but at 4 p.m. today, I was on with the 365 Sports Guys. I think you can follow them on YouTube at Sikkim365.com or just look up Sikkim365. It's uh, Baylor guys that talk about the national landscape of college sports as well. Uh, But old Smokey over there asked me to be on to talk a little realignment with them, so I joined them if you would like to go back and watch that as well. I'll try and uh, put it up in one of the YouTube playlists, or just check my Twitter, at GaryWCE. It's going to be posted over there as well. Let's dive into the new coaches poll. Having been released on Monday, August 8th, the AP poll is going to be out next week. We'll talk about that one as well, Uh, but typically the coaches poll kind of sets the standard, really. You're not going to have too many huge changes, Uh, 
because I believe that most people are going to watch this or they'll look at this and then realize where the coaches think that these teams are, coaches, more importantly, SIDs. Uh, they believe, of course, that uh, Alabama is going to be the number one team in the country this year. Now, rankings are very strange, right? This is one of those things where do you vote based on where you think they will end up at the end of the season or where you think they are right now? Because I think it needs to be a present tense version of this, right? It, I, I believe that that's the way that rankings should be done because you have no idea where they're going to go afterwards. So are you trying to make a prediction for the end of the season or are you just making it uh, based on what the team is currently? Because if it is what the team is based on currently, there are some big problems that I have with this poll. We'll go ahead and start off with uh, with just going through them, right? Uh, one through five, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. No big issues there other than maybe Notre Dame, but the difference between like the top three in this poll and everybody else, I mean, everybody else is just kind of wherever. You could put Notre Dame at 20, you could put them at five, you could put them at 10, and I'd would think it'd be, yeah, okay, I can see it, right? It, beyond that, I don't know. Clemson at four, I mean, with that offense last year, you got to hope that they are moving into a much better situation going into this season, but who knows, right? Because this is a, I mean, this is a lofty rating uh, for a team that had three losses last year, but when you look at the three losses, yeah, you can kind of understand it, right? It, it does make sense because they they lost in overtime to NC State, uh, they lost uh, uh, to Georgia by one possession, and they lost to Pitt by 10 on the road. I mean, I can see it. If they get the quarterback situation figured out, absolutely. But that's also assuming that a new OC and a new DC is going to change nothing about the culture at that place. Maybe Dabo's got it running. We'll see. 6 through 10, Michigan, Texas A&M, Utah, Oklahoma, and Baylor. I might would rearrange a few things, and we'll get to that. We're going to talk about who's too high and who's too low here in just a second. But uh, overall, okay. like it, uh, All of it just kind of makes sense to me, right? It's it's whatever. Uh, Baylor, maybe a little high compared to, you know, depending on what they look like, I guess. Right now, there's a lot of question marks with them. So why in the world would Baylor be a top 10 team based on all the stuff that they lost? Eh, I mean, we'll see. Number 11 through 15, Oklahoma State, Oregon, NC State, Michigan State, and USC. I was kind of surprised that USC was as low as they are, but again, this is a coach's poll. I think that those guys understand you got to be good in the trenches, and I don't know that USC is currently. Uh, number 16 through 20, Pitt, Miami, Texas, Wake Forest, and Wisconsin. A lot of love for Wake Forest up here at number 19. Texas a little bit lower than usual. I think it's because everybody's a little gun-shy with the Longhorns, and it, it totally makes sense based on what they have done over the years. Uh, 21 through 25 here, we've got Kentucky, Cincinnati, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Houston. Okay, let's go ahead and dive into this. Uh, let's talk about the teams that I believe are too high in this poll. I think Notre Dame might be a touch too high at number five. They have not got quarterback figured out yet. You've got a first-time, brand-new head coach coming in. Yes, you've got a lot of returning production. You have uh, a transfer in Brandon Joseph that is a stud. Hey, there's a lot of hype around the program. Yes, recruiting hype is awesome. It doesn't necessarily mean anything on the field, especially for this year, right? So we'll see what happens with Notre Dame, but are they the fifth-best team in the country? 
I mean, if they were, uh, maybe they shouldn't be 17-point dogs at Ohio State in week one. But again, I mean, Ohio State's just a different level, right? Different level. Uh, number 10, Baylor. I've got it's too high here. I mean, they lost just a metric crap ton. Uh, I have no idea what they're going to look like. Dave Aranda, yes, we all believe that he's fantastic, but I, I kind of need to see another year of this at least, right? I mean, it, last year was only his second season. They had a lot of upperclassmen. Uh, what are we going to get out of the new guys? I, I mean, that's really the question for me. Uh, Oklahoma State at 11, I mean, they lost basically the entire defense along with the defensive coordinator. Like, Jim Knowles has gone to Ohio State. Uh, do we really think that Spencer Sanders is going to be the guy? Like, I'm not I'm not certain. Any year where we believe that Oklahoma State is going to be fantastic, it feels like they let us down. And it, that may not align perfectly, but that's the way that it feels sometimes. Uh, I've got Pitt as being just a touch overrated at number 16. Yet, look, you lose Mark Whipple, you lose Jordan Addison, you lose uh, uh, Kenny Pickett, and you bring in Keaton Slovis. Okay, like, Signetti as the OC. I mean, we saw what he was at Boston College. Okay, like, I'm not I'm not thrilled with that. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I expect big things from the defense again, but that's another team that lost, like, some pretty big pieces. Wake Forest, that is a team that won 10 games in the regular season last year, and... Their post-game win expectancy was not that. Not even close. Like, this team was... What, what's the right word? Uh, they were somewhat lucky to get some of those wins. One-possession wins against Syracuse, against Louisville, against NC State, etc. Like, you flip a coin, and maybe that thing goes the other direction, right? So, if Wake Forest was coming off of a 7-5 and five year, or even just 8-4... and four, do we think that they would still be ranked at number 19 here? Uh, doubtful. Doubtful. And I've also got Kentucky here. I know a lot of people are in love with Kentucky, but I have not found who's going to replace Wondell Robinson. I don't like the fact that they lost their offensive line coach, although I do trust Stoops to be able to develop offensive linemen. I, you know, can, when Kentucky has a really, really good year and they lose some key pieces like uh, like Pascal and, and whoever else, like they lose a ton off that offensive line, I I have to wonder... Right, I just have to wonder, because this is not an overly talented team in the SEC. Eh, you know, 21, maybe maybe a touch high, especially this early in the season. Uh, as far as teams that I have that are too low here, Texas at 18, I think based on, yes, I understand they went 5-7 and seven last year. They're swapping out quarterbacks. We don't know exactly what Quinn Ewers is going to be yet. However, with the talent that they have amassed on offense, Yes, the question still remains, are they going to be able to gel, etc.? This is certainly a top 10 roster. So, 18 might be a touch low. Might be a touch low. Uh, do I expect them to hang with Alabama in Week 2? Not necessarily. But how many teams are actually going to be able to do that, right? Especially early in the year. So, Texas a bit low. And then I've got three unranked teams that probably should have taken the spot of some of those that are at the bottom of the poll, right? Penn State is unranked, and I think they are going to be awesome. Tennessee, unranked. I think they are going to be really good. BYU, unranked. I've got them as a 10-win team. Like, those three, I think, are going to be 
probably top 15 teams by the end of the year. Maybe one of them hits the top 10. I mean, we'll see. But that's the way that I feel about the coaches poll. Uh, Let me know your thoughts. I want to know what you guys think about this. Who's too high? Who's too low? Who was a surprise to you that they were even in the poll? I, I didn't have anybody that surprised me because I think you're just kind of playing grab bag at this point, right? That, that's how I see it right now. I think a lot of this is dependent upon what your team did last season, and that's not the way that I look at a previews, at, at rankings, going into a season. I look at a roster, and I figure it out from there. We'll move on from there. Big news out of Norman, Oklahoma. Whew, um, this was not good. Uh, not at all. Kale Gundy, the wide receivers coach, uh, at one point was the running backs coach, uh, assistant head coach. I mean, just all kind of stuff. He has resigned uh, after reading aloud shameful word off of players' iPad. Now, it goes through and it says uh, it, his his post was uh, that he read aloud a word I should never say under any circumstances uh, have uttered off the screen during a player's iPad during a film session last week. He said he noticed the player who was supposed to be taking notes during a film session was distracted. He said he picked up the player's iPad, read the words on the screen, uh, including the unspecified term, which I think we all know what that term is. Uh, He said in his statement, the unfortunate reality is that someone in my position can cause harm uh, without ever meaning to do so. In that circumstance, a man of character accepts accountability. I take responsibility for this mistake. I apologize. He said he did not even realize what he was reading, and as soon as he did, he was horrified. And I've, I do believe this, right? Uh, he said it was not malicious. It wasn't even intentional. Uh, he said that he is mature enough to know that the word he said was shameful and hurtful, no matter the intentions. Now, he was the quarterback for the Sooners from 1990 through 93. He returned as part of Bob Stoops' first staff in, uh, staff in 1999. He has been a part of all of Oklahoma's 14 Big 12 titles and its 2000 National Championship. Like he, He's been there forever, right? It doesn't matter the coaching changes. He has been there. He's been the dude. And then you have this happen, and before anything can happen, before anything even gets out into the news, he's already resigned. Um, I will say this. like This came out from Oklahoma just a... Uh, just a little bit ago. Let's see. I believe da, 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 da. Yeah, about 20 minutes before I started recording here. It says, a uh, statement from head football coach Brent Venables. As painful as it has been dealing with Coach Gundy resigning from the program, it does not touch the experience of pain felt by a room, of full, or a room full of young men I am charged to protect, lead, and love. There are a few things I would like to address. It says, Coach Gundy resigned from the program because he knows what he did was wrong. He chose to read aloud to his players not once, but multiple times, a racially charged word that is objectionable to everyone and does not reflect the attitude and values of our university or our football program. Uh, This is not acceptable, period. Coach Gundy did the right thing in resigning. He knows our goals for excellence and that coaches have special responsibilities to set an example. He also knows that while he will always be a part of the OU family, that his words affected many of us and did not represent the principles of our university. Again, his resignation was the right thing to do, and we will move forward positively. Now, I get it. I I totally get it. I understand this. You don't want it to be a distraction. However, a statement from the head coach makes it even more of a distraction, I believe. Uh, Do I think that Kale Gundy will coach again? Yes. Probably. 
Uh, and now this was, of course, his first stint with Venables as the head coach. He did work with Venables back under Bob Stoops. So was there something else going on here? Eh, possibly. Um, but it is it, it is very interesting, right? There are a lot of questions around here trying to figure out exactly what happened, what is going on. Uh, will Kale Gundy go and coach for his brother? Will he go be an analyst at Oklahoma State? That's a question, right? There's a lot of things to try and figure out here. But, uh, but as it sits, I mean, this is a guy that was massive in recruiting, a guy that had been there through multiple staffs, loved Norman, Oklahoma, absolutely loved it, and I think wishes he was still on staff. However, uh, maybe there was something else going on behind the scenes. Just a question. You guys in the chat, you tell me. In the comments, tell me. I'm uh, I'm a little curious as to what really ended up going on here, or is it just as simple as what they've put out? That's my question. Next up on the docket here, let's go ahead and, and move over to a tweet that I shared out on Friday. Uh, Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts was on with Nick Handley, who has a show in Nebraska, and they were talking about realignment. Now, this is a big topic, of course, and you always like to get an idea from the admins at some of these Big Ten schools, etc., to figure out what is the what's the atmosphere like? What's going on? What's happening behind the scenes that maybe we don't know about? And he was incredibly honest here. I was a little shocked that he was willing to answer this question uh, as much as he did. Now, this is just a quick snippet of it. You can go listen to the full interview on the Nick Handley Show podcast from Friday, August 5th. It's it's interesting. Uh, let's go ahead and dive over to it, and I'll uh, I'll just play this out and let you guys hear this snippet. Big Ten is cooling off on that. Uh, what have you kind of been made abreast to when it does come to, you know, what the Big Ten is looking to do and what you've heard from Kevin Warren and, and the folks there in Chicago? Well, first and foremost, um, we're really fixed, you know, fixated right now on on, on getting our media deals done. And uh, I think we've made really good progress. And I think we're going to, uh, you know, work really hard to get them across the finish line and the goal line and and, uh, and then look to the future. And so, you know, I, I think... Um, I think it's, you know, fool's gold for any conference to say, you know, we will no longer be expanding. I think the world continues to change. Um, you know, I think uh, whether it's the Big Ten or other conferences, I think there will be more disruption in terms of there will be more realignment. There will be more changes. Um, that's just natural. Um, the reason some of this change happened was the grant of rights for the Pac-12, you know, were, were up. And so, you know, there was some movement. Um, other conferences have grants of rights that are out much, you know, longer distance, but that mm-hmm. hasn't stopped from some schools from finding a way. So I, I think there will be more change. Um, I think uh, the change will, will will likely happen sooner rather than later. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would anticipate there being more consolidation. That just uh, seems to be, um, you know, what's ultimately uh, – that's the path that we've been going down, and, and I don't see a strong sentiment to slow that thinking down. Now, let's uh, let's try and dissect this a little bit. He says here, uh, I think there will be more change. I think the change will likely happen sooner rather than later, and I would anticipate there being more consolidation. This does not sound like realignment is over, and Kevin Warren, of course, came out and did say this at Pac- or excuse me, the Big Ten Media Days, right? He said 
that they are going to be creative and they are going to find ways to add value to the conference, etc. This is a new style of thinking, right? Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, very old school, came up working in universities, etc., is not looking at it from a monetary standpoint. Like, yes, he's got a budget that he's got to deal with, etc., but he never has had to worry with uh, adding value, per se. Right here, Trev Albert's talking about, I don't think it's done. I think we are, like, there's going to be more movement, etc. If you are a conference that is anticipating more movement, obviously you guys have talked about it, right? Like, he didn't say that the Big Ten will be the ones making the moves. Like, yes, the lower levels, absolutely. But I don't believe that realignment is done as far as the Big Ten is concerned. And I think the biggest piece of the puzzle is still Notre Dame. That's absolutely still the biggest piece of the puzzle. And, of course, NBC trying to figure out a way to handle the Big Ten or the Big 12, either one, and Notre Dame, That's that, those pieces have to fit exactly right. Notre Dame has to be able to get to a point where they can keep up with the Big Ten and the SEC from a financial standpoint. If they can't do that, then what does the Big Ten do? Does the Big Ten just go and add... Oregon and Washington, or whoever else. Uh, then you've got other questions where, you know, where does Stanford fit into this? Stanford, one of the best schools in the country, a $37 billion endowment, etc. But that endowment in and of itself leads to the question of, if Stanford wanted to be really, really good in athletics, wouldn't they be? Wouldn't they just throw money at this thing? Like, Stanford doesn't have to have $100 million coming from an annual TV deal. Stanford has all the money they could possibly want. And they don't spend it on athletics. They don't really change what they do academically for their athletics programs. It's it's very interesting how all of this is going to end up fitting, but it doesn't sound like realignment is done, at least not to me. Uh, there's, I think the next big domino is going to be Notre Dame. And we'll figure out very quickly if NBC is not one of those teams that gets the Big Ten rights, what does that mean for Notre Dame? That's the question. All right, let's go on and jump into an ad right quick. We've got some interesting things that we're going to hit on the backside. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments, along with other goodies as well. We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com slash store and see what all we've added. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And now, back to the show. All right, so now we move into 
An interesting tweet that came out from Brett McMurphy on Monday morning, and it gained a lot of traction, right? There were a lot of people going back and forth about this. And the tweet is as follows. Only 15 FBS schools do not play an FCS team in 2022. Colorado, Georgia State, Houston, Louisville, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Old Dominion, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Penn State, Texas, USC, and UTEP. It says every SEC, MAC, and Mountain West team will play an FCS opponent this fall. Now, the reason that this became such a big issue is because a lot of people have wanted to do away with that FCS game. And I do understand it as far as the the competitive balance portion of this, right? Because if you have Alabama playing an FCS team, it's not exactly fair. But if you look at it from the FCS point of view, right, that's a massive, massive game for an FCS team. Those are players that likely would never get to play inside of Bryant-Denny Stadium or inside of uh, uh, Tennessee Stadium, etc. Like all of these big-time brands, you have an FCS school that gets to go there to play. For example, Tennessee State going to play at Ohio State, or excuse me, at Notre Dame in 2023. That's a massive deal, right? Because those players likely would never get that opportunity to go play at Notre Dame. That's just, it, if you love the sport of football, it's what makes it awesome, right? So, the I think that we have gotten away from the buy games and the importance of them, right? A lot of people just seem to forget exactly how much of an economic impact that the 2020 season had when we moved into conference-only schedules, right? The SEC dropped all of their FCS games. One game against an SEC opponent for an FCS team can be up to 10 to 15% of their athletic budget, if not more, especially for an FCS team who doesn't have a huge television contract, who doesn't have bowl game revenue, et cetera, et cetera, right? If you're not making NCAA tournaments, if you're not doing whatever, it's tough. It's incredibly difficult to find a way to balance the budget when you're not getting those paydays. Say Kent State, for example, couple of years ago I think it was 20 you know it was 2020 they lost I believe three by games that three games against power five competition that would have amounted to 17.1 percent of their athletic budget now that is just a g5 school that is going and traveling to p5 like not contenders but you get the point p5 teams teams that are getting massive media payouts that can afford to pay them to come in in most cases, it's a million bucks. In some cases, it's 500000 An FCS school can come in and play you for $600,000, and that will handle a large majority of their athletic budget for the year. And people seem to not understand exactly how important FCS, at G5, FCS, Division II, etc., is to the ecosystem that is college football. If you don't have all of these different options for kids to be able to get into school, etc. How many kids are still going to play football in high school? How many kids are going to keep playing in peewee and middle school, etc. to go into high school with? Like, this ecosystem is incredibly fragile. And if, if you think that those teams are not worth anything, I understand where you're coming from. Because as far as viewership, ratings, etc., that's one thing, but you got to be able to keep them afloat, and that's one way that you do it is these SEC schools, et cetera, continue to play these FCS teams, 
and it basically is them giving them a check, a donation to come in and take a loss. And in a lot of these big-time teams that are moving into the Big Ten, etc., don't understand that some of them are coming in to take losses as well. But regardless, they just got a bigger name brand on their jersey. Regardless. Uh, let's move over to this one. Interesting, interesting topic. Uh, because this kind of stays in the same in the same wheelhouse. Interesting over at Reddit. Power 5 teams visiting G5 teams. Now, what I just said about Power 5 teams playing, or, or G5 teams as well, whoever, FBS teams playing FCS teams. Incredibly important to the ecosystem of college football. This, however, on the other side, maybe not so much, right? Power 5 teams that are traveling to visit G5 teams. If you are a big enough program, a big enough brand, there is absolutely no reason for you to do this, especially if you're a team that is trying to make a bowl game, etc. If that is your version of success, there's no reason for you to do this. And yet, here we are. Uh, let's see, Carmel's own here. He said, uh, during the end of the season CFP debate, a topic often brought up is G5 schools' difficulty to increase their strength of schedule because P5 schools won't go to their place. I thought it would be interesting to count up those instances for this coming season where that happens. I did not count Notre Dame or BYU as G5s, nor did I count neutral site games. So let's look at week zero and week one. You got Vandy going to Hawaii, NC State going to East Carolina. Now, NC State, East Carolina makes sense. That's a... That's a game that's been going on for a while. It's not played every single year, but it is in state. It does kind of make sense, right? Arizona heading to San Diego State. That's a uh, a contract game they have gone back and forth on. North Carolina going to App State. That is, again, an in-state matchup. Very strange for a brand as big as North Carolina to go play at App State. Virginia Tech plays at Old Dominion in Week 1 as well. That's another in-state game, you know, does Do the state governments have anything to do with this? Maybe. Uh, it just doesn't seem smart for teams like Virginia Tech and North Carolina to have to go on the road. It just makes it that much more difficult to win. Week two, Louisville going to UCF. Again, that's another game. That's another series that they contracted out. Maryland going to Charlotte. Again, what are you doing, ACC? Why, would, why is Maryland going to Charlotte? I mean, it makes no sense. Colorado at Air Force. Um... Okay, that's in-state. Again, you know, strange. Oregon State going to Fresno State, another series that was contracted. North Carolina going to Georgia State. Okay, again, North Carolina, that's two straight weekends that you're going to play against pretty good uh, Sunbelt teams. Week three, Kansas at Houston, Rutgers at Temple, Vandy at Northern Illinois, and then Pitt going to Western Michigan. I think that was part of a two-for-one, if I'm not mistaken, but we'll we'll figure it out. If you're Pitt, why would you ever go to Western Michigan? That's a good question, right? Uh, Kansas at Houston, that that makes sense. Houston's about to be a, a P5 member anyway, at P5, if that's even a thing anymore. Rutgers at Temple, that one kind of makes sense. Vandy at Northern Illinois, okay, like I, I get those. Week four, you've got Indiana at Cincinnati. Again, that one makes sense. TCU at SMU, that's a rivalry game, played home and home every year. Georgia Tech at UCF. Again, UCF, another one of those where it does kind of make sense, especially if you are a lower-end team like Georgia Tech. However, again, I've mentioned this so many times, it feels like Georgia Tech is trying to get their coach fired. (laughs) The schedule is absurd. But regardless, going total games by conference, ACC has seven, 
The Big 12 has two. Big 10 has three. Pac-12, three. The SEC, two. And both of those are Vanderbilt. The AAC, seven. It's CUSA, one. Uh, MAC, two. Mountain West, four. And Sunbelt, three. Now, it, it makes sense for all of the G5 school or G5 conferences. I just don't get why in the world some of these teams are playing on the road at a G5 school. Pitt, North Carolina twice. Why is Maryland going to Charlotte? I mean, I can understand from a recruiting standpoint, but like you don't have to do that anymore. I don't know if these guys understand. Like You don't have to go to these places and play against a G5 team in order to recruit there. Just saying. I mean, good gracious. What are we what are we even doing anymore? Ay, ay, ay. All right. Another interesting topic here. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. The NCAA has denied linebacker Drew Singleton's appeal to return to Rutgers. And Greg Ciano said basically they ruled against him. Uh, let me tell you the story of Drew Singleton here. Singleton, once they lost their finale in the regular season, school went 5-7, and seven, or the team went 5-7, and seven, so they were not supposed to go to a bowl game. He signed with an agent, was going to go to the NFL draft, and everything seemed totally fine. And instead, they ended up getting a call. Their, what is it, the ARP? Uh, their, their ARP scores. Oh, I don't think that's right. Hey, you guys correct me in the comments. I, I went blank for a minute. Uh, but their their scores were high enough that they were asked to be in a bowl game when they did not have enough 6 and 6 teams. So, they accepted it on like a week's notice, right? 8 days I think, maybe something like that. They agreed to be in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl and they decided, okay, yeah, we're going to go do that. So Singleton, after they had not been working out, they get out of their regular season stuff, etc. Uh, they come back in, they start to practice, etc. And they are getting ready to go play in the Tax Slayer Bowl. So he goes and plays. And then he gets injured in this game. And he had already signed with an agent. He was already getting ready to go to the NFL draft. But the injury caused it to where he was not drafted. And he requested from the NCAA that he be allowed to come back to school for one more year to play at Rutgers because the injury, he can heal up in time to play for the season but if you are an NFL team and you're trying to figure out the best value in some of those late-round picks, et cetera, do you take a chance on a player that, you know, is coming off of an injury? Or do you just go with somebody else? I, I mean, it makes sense. And yet, in this instance, the NCAA said uh, that no, he cannot come back because he signed with an agent. Um, Chiano said this, I stated my feelings beforehand they want guys to play in bowl games. I don't know. Not many teams have accepted a bowl game on eight days' notice, had two practices, and went and played. I don't think so. A draft-eligible player comes back to play, and to me, that's pretty special. Unfortunately, he got injured. I just struggle. I think that's extenuating circumstances. I understand the whole amateurism rule, but eight days' notice, that's extenuating circumstances. I'm not sure how you can define it. You get a team ready to go, get a plane during the second biggest outbreak of COVID, and say that's not extenuating circumstances. I don't understand that. Now, I I tend to agree with him because I think if you are the NCAA, if you are college football, and you are wanting to get more players to play into bowl games or play in bowl games, you would want to approve this. 
because you want players to have a reason to be able to come back or go or whatever. You're already... The amateurism part of this is comical at best because you've already got players that are signing with agents for NIL representation, and that's totally legal. But you can't sign with an agent to help you prepare for the NFL draft and then be allowed to come back to play after you've already signed away that you're going to the NFL. Like, that is mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing that they decided to rule against this. So, again, NCAA, an old, decrepit organization that is going away eventually anyway, decided to actually rule against something this time, and yet they can't even enforce their own rules. Like, I'm curious what would happen if Rutgers were to play this kid anyway. I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense. So, who knows? This is a, a very interesting topic, one that, that irritates me to no end. But, whew, I mean, just tough, tough luck for that kid. Uh, went out, played in the bowl game, tried to do what was right for his teammates, gets hurt, doesn't get drafted, wants to come back and play for another year, and now has nowhere to go. I mean, it just sucks. It just sucks. All right, let's... uh. That's it. One more thing it adds, and then I got uh, two more interesting topics to hit on the backside. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at Gary WCE and at Chris B Giannini, or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show, too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. Flow Sports. That's right, another streaming service. They have set a record now, and it is the second one that they have set with a new Division II media rights deal. And this one... As we will go ahead and pull up here, this one is a four-year, seven-figure broadcast deal with the GLIAC. Now, it is the largest in the history of Division II. When you look at this, um, it says, as the media rights value of powerhouse conferences like the Big Ten continue to climb, so do those in a more modest category, Division II. In July, the South Atlantic Conference uh, signed the largest media deal in the history of D2. It was a five-year, seven-figure deal with uh, Flow Sports. On Monday, the streamer broke its own record, inking another historic partnership. It says Flow Sports has signed a seven-figure deal over four years with the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Uh, the partnership will commence on August 25th, includes over 900 games streaming across 21 sports. Now, it's, uh, it's not only the GLIAC's first-ever conference-wide broadcast partnership, but also now the biggest in D2 history. Now, it does, in, it does say this. It suggests there is an increasingly rabid fan base at the lower division level where quality college sports value has perhaps been overlooked. Uh, like, like in D1, not all conferences are created equally. Part of the GLIAC's draw 
is likely that it boasts two football teams ranked in the top five for the entire division, Grand Valley State University and Ferris State University. Here's the situation. There are fans of football teams everywhere, right? And even lower level, there are alumni from those schools, et cetera, that would be interested in seeing those teams play and making that content readily available while seven figures looks like a ton to us. Uh, it's not a ton to Flow Sports who can get quite a few subscribers in during football season, et cetera, to come in and watch those teams play, whether it be their son's play or whether it's somebody that used to play at that school, et cetera. They just want to be able to have access to it. It's not that they're always going to watch it. With Flow Sports, you're trying to get subscribers. That's a different metric, right? What we're looking at with these linear television models is you're looking for how many fans are actually going to tune in and watch. How big of a brand can we have playing another big brand, and how many eyeballs can I get on it for... CBS, et cetera. Those are all over-the-top free television, right? It's it's network television. It's different when you're trying to get somebody to pay you five, ten bucks a month so that you can have access to the games, right? You're not going to have access to any of these type of, of games other than maybe you'll have a big matchup that's on ESPNU sometimes, something along those lines. Uh, and this is not just for football. This is over 21 different sports. It's a pretty big deal. And I think you're going to continue to see this. Uh, the commissioner, Chris Dunbar, said D2 has great content. Uh, it says it helps D2 overall to show that we have people that respect and want to be a part of what we have to offer. Uh, this is a great idea for Flow Sports to continue to do this. Uh, Flow Sports has a partnership with the Big East, but most of its college sports clients are those in lower divisions. Like Somebody's going to do this with the FCS. Like ESPN currently has the rights to it. Most of that content ends up being tossed onto ESPN Plus. And yes, they want more subscribers for ESPN Plus, but that is the business model as far as some of these smaller programs go. You're not necessarily looking for eyeballs. You're looking for subscribers, people that want to support that brand that also want to be able to watch their team every now and then, right? Totally makes sense. So I do like this idea. I think it's, uh, I think it's smart, and I think Flow Sports is doing a really, really genius thing here. We'll move on to the last topic of the day, and this one kind of caught me by surprise. SMU is now, uh, let me swap it over here, they have a collective now that is paying athletes $3.5 million annually through NIL. It's called the Boulevard Collective, and that is a lot of money. It's $36,000 per football and basketball player. It is so much money for for a, a group of five schools. And we always knew that SMU would have the money to be able to compete. And it's why it's always kind of shocked me that they have not been brought up for expansion a lot. We did talk about the ACC possibly talking to SMU. And this is a big reason why, right? This is a, a program that wants to be big time. Uh, if you look at it just compared to some of the other stuff that we have seen not that long ago, Texas Tech. Their Matador Club Collective unveiled plans to play or to pay each football player twenty five thousand dollars a year, but this is this is more than ten thousand dollars per player. More, that's that is crazy. Uh, it says driven by Dallas business leaders and SMU alumni, Chris Kleinert, CEO of Hunt Realty Investments, and Kyle Miller, 
president and CEO of Silver Hill Energy Partner. Uh, it says Boulevard immediately joins the likes of Tennessee's Spry Sports and Texas A&M's The Fund. This this makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. I love it. Uh, I think it's genius for SMU. I would imagine that this thing will continue to to grow and grow and grow. And I I can't wait to see exactly what ends up happening with SMU going forward. Like, do they join the Pac-12? Do they join the Big 12 if the Big 12 decides to expand even further? Do they join the ACC if the ACC wants to try and make sure that they are set for a long, long time? I think SMU is going to be a big player. I really do. That is going to wrap up today's show. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you for supporting the show. We're over 6,500 subscribers now on YouTube. Uh, The goal back in the summer, I said, was for us to get over 7,500. Well, we are not that far from that right now because I think we were just at 5,600 back in June, and now we're at 6,500 at the beginning of August. So I am excited about the way that things are going, and I plan on... uh, I plan on keeping the content rolling out so long as you guys are interested. Jump in the comments. I want to hear your thoughts on today's stories. All that good stuff. Share the show. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. And with that said, I'm going to get out of here. You guys take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And hopefully, all of you tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com. And if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at Winning Cures, or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.